Welcome. This is Shay Michael. You are now on a holla shay, holla shay, holla shay, holla shay, holla shay, holla shay, holla shay. Hey, Gilbert Schilling, how are you? Good to see you. How are you? I'm fine. Cool. And can we uh, learn a little bit more about you? You are a Dutch science writer and, uh, am- and according to Wikipedia, an amateur astronomer. So if, uh, if you could tell us about that. Well, I started out as an amateur astronomer when I was a teenage boy, uh, back in the Apollo days. I uh, had a, a Saturday job to uh, to save money for to buy my own telescope, and I started to observe the planets and the moon. Um but I've always liked writing ever since I was a really very young child. And um, when astronomy became my hobby, it made sense to start writing about that because you're passionate about something and you want to uh, to make other people feel enthusiastic about that too. Uh, so that's how it all started. So I am, I'm not a professional astronomer. I did not do a course in science writing or in journalism. It's just uh, starting to do it because you like it and doing it for a long time. And then you eventually are able to uh, uh, to, to do this. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And you've written quite a number of books. Uh, I recently purchased your uh, previous one, your most recent one, uh, The Elephant in the Universe. What struck me about this book is that it's not it doesn't look like other science books. Right. I mean, this book is very colorful. It's uh, it, it grabs your attention right away, and that it just has all these all these colors. What like what in, went into the design of that? And uh, you also have a foreword by someone uh, who's very uh, in the news, like in the science news right now, Avi Loeb. So if you can tell me about that as well too, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, that's a, a funny story. Uh, uh, first, to, to talk a little bit about this book, uh, it is indeed not a science a science book. It's not just a scientist explaining to you and systematically go through all the details and uh, explain the stuff. Because as a science writer, as a science journalist, they always like to tell stories. So uh, you want to tell the story behind the science and to give people some feeling of how these scientists work, what environments they work in. So that's why I visited all laboratories and observatories and talk to all those people. And uh, I made it more more of a, not just a quest of the scientists themselves to learn more about dark matter, but also a little bit my personal quest to inform myself about this stuff by going to all these places and talking to the people and even every now and then adding some personal thoughts about the topic. And I think that's not very common to do that, but I get a lot of good comments uh, from readers uh, so it's it's my style. I like it. So when I was researching this book, I also talked to Avi Loeb. I know him a little bit uh, because he had he had worked on dark matter, some very complicated uh, part of theory, and I wanted to discuss that with him. And later, with a publisher with Harvard University Press, we thought about uh, who would be the right person to do the forward, and we had a couple of suggestions. But then I thought, well. Maybe Avi is the right person. And uh, only shortly after that, the whole thing with his work on extraterrestrials, visiting the Earth and all those kind of things started to come up. And Harvard was not so keen anymore, although he is connected to the university there, because he said, well, he's a little bit controversial person. But a year later, when we really had to make the choice, we thought, well, maybe it's not that bad. And he's a well-known name. And, um, so we asked him and he wanted to do that. I'm very happy with it. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, this is more about you, less about Avi. So, uh, you know, I will say one of the things I really liked about your book is that you do take us on, I mean, it has somewhat of a travel aspect to it, right? Like you take us to these actual locations mm -hmm. and um, kind of give us your insight on what it means to meet some of these scientists and stuff yeah. and, 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 and their locations as well, too. Um, you know, uh, one of the things I kind of wanted, to, before I get into that, uh, I wanted to talk about, like, so for me and for other people who are not like so well versed in science, like the difference between uh, dark matter, dark energy, like, uh, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, you know, my girlfriend was like, well, what is the difference? So I, and I was like, you know what, why don't we just wait until Gover can talk to us and tell us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny because uh, these two, uh, these two things that you mentioned, the dark matter and the dark energy are the, the two biggest riddles in current astrophysics and in uh, fundamental physics, because in both cases, we don't know what, what they are. And what your girlfriend said is not so strange because some scientists are also thinking, well, maybe they are connected some way. And maybe if we solve one problem, we also have the clue, uh, uh, the key to solving the other one. So maybe there's a bigger connection than most people assume, but we can keep it pretty simple. Uh, dark matter is an older problem in the universe. It's, it's uh, been with us for, for many decades now. And the thing is that if you study the motion of stars and the motions and the rotations of galaxies and the velocities of galaxies uh, uh, amongst each other, then you know that these motions and these velocities have to be governed by gravity. So what you actually can do is measuring the motions and you know how much gravity is around there. And then when you look at these systems, you don't see that many stars or gas clouds or whatever to produce all that gravity. So apparently we see the effect of much more gravity than we can account for by looking with a telescope. And that's why people came up with the idea there must be some kind of matter that we cannot see in no, no single way, not with a telescope, not with an X-ray telescope, not with a radio telescope, but that has gravity, it has mass. So we see the effects of this dark matter, but we don't know what it is. That's problem number one. And then the dark energy is something completely different. And that is even more mysterious. And in, in this book, uh, I only spent maybe two chapters on it because the book is really about dark matter. Um, but the dark energy is the name that scientists have given to the cause of the unexplained acceleration of the universe. We all know the universe is expanding. Space is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And normally you would expect that all the gravity of all the matter in the universe would slow down this expansion over time. So you would expect that the expansion was much faster in the, pa in the past than it is now, and it will slow down even more in the future. But when astronomers started to measure this, they found, to their surprise, that the rate of expansion of the universe is actually speeding up. So there is an acceleration in the expansion. And how can you explain that? And when they thought about uh, how to, to, to call this, they thought, well, apparently there must be some mysterious energy in empty space that is pushing empty space apart from itself in a matter of, uh, uh, in, in some way. And they call this dark energy which is not to say that anyone has any clue about the true nature of it. 
So these are the two uh, both big mysteries in in science right now. Wow. And uh, like with your book, um, you know, I really appreciate the way in which you write about dark matter because it is such a mystery. Scientists mm -hmm. are still very unsure about it. Um, but sort of you take us on like a um, like a history lesson almost in a way in which we start to we learn about these um, uh, astronomers who have like done their research about dark matter first not knowing what it is and uh -huh. then like sort of kind of like getting us an idea of like okay with um, and I'm you know understanding this on a very basic level but that there should be more mass in right. uh, these galaxies than there are known. And to be honest, that is, for me, that's kind of a mind-blowing um, aspect, just like that scientists are able to measure the mass of galaxies. Yeah. And, you know, maybe maybe this is a, uh, has something to do with, like, public education right here, but, like, uh, you know, this is not something I don't think a lot of people are really mm -hmm. aware of, um, but... So I but guess the funny thing is, uh, Shay, it's actually very simple to measure the mass. And there's a, a very, very good example that everyone could understand. We know that our Earth is orbiting the sun in one year at a certain distance. If the Earth would be much farther away at the distance of Jupiter, Jupiter takes almost 11 years to orbit the sun because it feels the sun's gravity much less because the distance is larger. So the sun's gravity keeps the planets in its in their orbits the farther away you are the weaker the gravity the slower you are moving everybody understands that but now the funny thing is that the orbital speed the and the orbital time that you need for one revolution is not only determined by the distance but also by the mass of the sun if the sun would be much more massive the planet at a certain distance would also feel more gravity and would move faster so even if Suppose you are an alien visitor to our solar system and you could observe uh, the planets moving in their orbits, but for some reason you cannot see the sun at all. It's invisible to you. Then you could easily calculate the mass of the sun because you see at this distance a planet is moving with this speed. At this distance the planet is moving with a lower velocity. And there's a very simple formula every high school student could do the who do the math, it's really simple. And you know how massive the sun is. And that's the easy thing. Physics is pretty easy. And in the same way, astronomers are able to, to weigh a complete galaxy by measuring the orbital speeds of hmm. stars. I, uh, I also remembered in the book, as you're saying this, that uh, there were some uh, equations that like even that you say even you were able to be uh, to to do so <laughs> so that's uh i appreciate the explanation that's really cool um so okay so i got this from uh dr brian keating's podcast that he put up on youtube in which he said that um you because i haven't actually gotten to the very end yet of your book is that you were trying to right towards something like i guess right towards a big discovery and that has not happened yet or are you still Okay, can you tell us a little bit? Yes, can you tell us about that? Yeah, it's a bit frustrating, obviously, because I started to write this book about dark matter, the biggest mystery in, in, in astrophysics right now. And obviously you have the hope that there will be some breakthrough uh, in this research during the time that you're working on the book. Because in that case, I could provide the readers with a solution in my final chapter. That would be great. And if I had most of the book already, then 
my book would be the first on the market to also present the solution to the to the problem. And uh, the thing that I wrote in my foreword in the book, and also I, I think I, I mentioned that to Brian Keating, is that in the past it happened like that because I a couple of years ago I started to do a book on gravitational waves, another complicated thing in, in uh, astrophysics. And I had hoped that there might be the first actual detection because it had only been predicted by Albert Einstein and by others. And they said, there should be something like ripples in space-time, which is the title of my previous book. And when I was doing the research, they actually found uh, these gravitational waves. It was a big discovery. So that was really the climax of my book because you're working towards this solution. In the case of dark matter, it didn't happen. So when you buy or read this book with the hope that I will give you the answer to the riddle, that's not going to be the case. And at the end, we still lost uh, for, 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 for a clue of what dark matter is. But then I thought, maybe it's not that bad at all, because we need riddles, we need questions, we need problems to keep ourselves working, to fire our imagination. And this whole search for dark matter over the decades has given us so many clues to other parts of the universe. So it, it was sort of a as if you're doing a, a, a discovery trip in an unknown landscape and you're always focusing on some distant mark on the horizon and you never reach that mark. But by going in that direction, you discover a lot of other things. And uh, I hope that uh, that is a little bit the case with this book. We're going to be waiting for your next book, if you know, for the for more research and stuff on that. So, um, <laughs> so uh, like, what surprised you? So, I have like quite a few more questions, if you don't mind. Uh, what surprised you when you were writing this book? Like, what were you not expecting to? Um, I don't know, with the people, with the research, anything. Yeah, I think that the thing that most surprised me, although. I knew it in some way because I, yeah, I'm writing about these kind of topics for, for a very long time. So you know more or less how the things are going. But what surprised me is the incredible persistence and perseverance of these scientists. Because there are people who are started their research when they were 23 and they built instruments and they don't find anything. And they design and build a newer instrument and they again don't find anything. And they keep on searching and they never give up. And that was that was incredible to me. I I don't think I would be able to do that. Uh, no, I feel like uh, staying focused on one thing would be really difficult for most people, to be honest. Um, actually, part of the uh, book that was really cool was the instruments. So, um, for like from the very big from the, to the very small. So, and you got to see a lot of these instruments. Um, if you can tell us a little bit about that, that'd be great too. Um, since I am uh, uh, basically normally writing about astronomy, I have been visiting many astronomical observatories over the world over the uh, past years in, in the United States, in Australia, in Europe, in Chile, on the Canary Islands. So most of the telescopes I, I know on, on the big telescopes in Hawaii, beautiful places, uh, not much new there, but... Um, but of course, they, they uh, play a role in my book. I, I, I am visiting an, a number of uh, relevant observatories. But what was new for me was visiting these particle physics laboratories like CERN in Geneva in Switzerland, the biggest international particle physics laboratory in the world, and especially uh, 
a deep underground laboratory in Italy, at the Gran Sesso Laboratory, where they, where they do all these big experiments and big instruments that have to be shielded from the influence from outer space. That's why you need to build them deep underground, under a mountain, in deep tunnels. And I had never been to those observatories, to those laboratories. I knew that they existed. I, and you learn, you read normally about what kind of experiments people are doing there. But in a normal science book, they're just saying, well, people have built this experiment. It's located in that and that tunnel. And uh, these are the results. And what I don't know is how does it look there? How is it to go down deep in the ground, uh, underground or in the tunnel? And uh, how does it smell? What is the sound like? How is it to be there? And that's something I, I love to write about because yeah, your readers, my readers, I assume, they want to have this story too, because in some sense, they will never be able to go there, but then I can take them a little bit on, on the ride. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, uh, like as I was saying earlier, I definitely got a feeling that um, not even just like, even just being there, but also like the people involved. So I, I know you're, even the town, uh, I forget the town's name, but you said you went to a town that was recently, uh, I believe, struck by a... Uh, by an earthquake. By an earthquake, yeah. And there's some of L'Aquila in Italy. Yes. And that, yeah, and then it's, it's, uh, it's great that you mentioned that because the part of that chapter where I visit the laboratory and, and this town is the, the nearest town, so they're... It's basically located there. But there was a big, big earthquake a number of years ago. And in this old medieval Italian town, they are still working on restructuring the city and old cathedrals and old buildings. And normally, a writer would say, well, that has nothing to do with the science. So you need to mention it. But I think you have to mention it because it gives the reader the feeling that they are traveling with you, going to some place. And then it also gives me the opportunity to make a couple of comparisons between forces of nature working here, forces of nature working there, the persistence and the, uh, and the um, energy of people rebuilding their city comparing to, uh, to, 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 to the willingness of people to spend more, most of their lives on searching for, for scientific uh, answers. So, yeah, I like, I like that very much. As one of your newer readers, like I definitely appreciated that. I mean, it did take me back to uh, living in Europe and, you know, going to these like small towns and stuff. Uh -huh. and, uh, like I really got the sense of that. So I really yeah. appreciate that. And again, yeah, I don't think a lot of science books really go into sort of like the humanity side of, of science. There are a couple of writers who are, who are very good at that. And uh, if I may, I would love to to mention a few because they are American writers that I used to read when I was uh, much younger. My favorite astronomy writer is Carl Sagan. Many people who love astronomy will know his name. He died a couple, of, uh, well, a number of years ago already. He made this series Cosmos in the 1980s, and I was flabbergasted by the series and also by his writing. He writes very poetically, and he writes about human feelings and, uh, but all always. Fund, uh, funded, founded in science. So uh, he is a big example for me. And the other one was um, James Gleek, an American science writer. And a long time ago, he wrote a book called Chaos. And it was about the chaos theory, which is some concept in, in physics. And I will never forget reading that book. And on the first page, he took me and he, he 
he gave me the impression of really being at a certain place and uh, giving these experiences. And I thought that is the way you should write about science. I, I cannot compare myself to, to his writing. He's, he's a genius, I think. But um, he, he put me on this, uh, on this way of writing. That's really nice. Going back into the experiments a little bit, like, um, you know, I guess trying to play a little de devil's advocate here. So, you know, this, a lot of this like research and um, stuff, it costs money. Um, scientists aren't really sure about, you know, what they're even searching for and kind of like, what is the sort of, I guess, real life implications of this, you know, like uh, what's the end result? I, you know, a lot of people, and I, I'm not saying that this is like how I, how I feel or anything like that, but I know a lot of people in the comment sections, they're like, oh, why are we spending all this money on all these, you know, uh, researches when we could be like doing other things? So. Absolutely. It's a, it's a very important question. And I think scientists and politicians who, who pay the scientists uh, always have to be aware of that question. But, um, I think there's a couple of answers to that because basically, if you say uh, what what is the end result, what what do we gain from it in our daily life? Uh, not much. Uh, if we know what dark matter is, the universe is not any different from how it is now. Uh, we just gain a little bit more knowledge. Uh, now, if you are looking for this kind of weird thing and you're building all these instruments. There is a slight possibility, well, not even a slight, but there is a, a reasonable possibility that it will lead to other technological breakthroughs that might influence our life in the future. One simple answer is my smartphone here would not be possible without scientists working on quantum mechanics uh, a century ago. Back then, everybody could have said, what's the use of quantum mechanics? Uh, why do we need it? Nobody knew what, what it would lead to, but it does lead to something. Personally, I don't think that's the most important reason to spend this money. I would say that um, you, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of things in the world like hunger and war and famine and uh, and illness and, and uh, medicine uh, that you need to spend money on too. And we are doing that also. It's not that we're... But my thing is that if if we had never put a lot of effort in fundamental science in uh, over the past centuries in in learning how to understand nature and to search for the true nature of the world around us if we had never done that we would not even know about hunger in the world we would not even have a clue about how to solve those kind of problems so the scientific endeavor to me is really uh, an, an integral integral part of our human nature and we need it to be able to do all those other kind of things um for instance there was a european astronomer copernicus many people know his name he came with this suggestion well the earth is not the center of the universe but the earth is orbiting the sun and we are only a tiny element in the big universe does it matter for our daily life not really but it matters on a very uh, different way because it is really about our place in the bigger scheme of things and the fact that we know that our planet is vulnerable and that it is uh, a tiny part of a bigger universe that that gives us some sort of responsibility that that the greek long ago would never have because they thought well it's basically our world um so i think in the end, in the end there's a lot of uh 
of payoff for all these scientific endeavors. Yeah, and that's kind of uh, I, I believe that's kind of what you're about, right? Is just uh, getting people to be more interested in science. Um, again, like uh, he started with the video of you doing the te- te- uh, Brian Keating started with the video mm-hmm. of you. Uh, I think in 2020 uh, TEDx, you had a speech on yeah. uh, essentially getting people more interested in uh-huh. science. And I did it. I appreciated that video because you said, you know, put down your cell phones, look up into the skies. Yeah. And I saw a few people in this, uh, in the audience actually put down their cell phones okay. and they're like, okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah. And I just, I, I appreciate that. It reminds me of when I was, you know, a boy and like, uh, I was also very interested in science, uh, mm-hmm. maybe not to your extent, you know, but, uh, we had like these, um, uh, moments where we can go out and look in the stars through telescopes yeah. And actually, I uh, I ended up throwing a boomerang and hitting somebody in the nose, and that was like kind of the end of it. But <laughs> but I was uh, just like fascinated by you know just being able to see what's in our cosmos and stuff. So yeah, um, you know we I really appreciate the work that you do in putting out the science and um, and the book, and look forward to your other books. Uh, if there's anything else you can tell us about, like. Um, uh, the process of writing your book or anything you want to leave us with, that would be great too. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. so <laughs> No, that's okay. That's uh, absolutely fine. Um, I don't know. I, I write a lot of uh, news stories for Dutch newspapers or for British or American magazines. There's this American amateur astronomy magazine called Sky and Telescope. I'm a contributing editor of that magazine, so I write a lot of news stories for their websites. So my main work is basically responding to the news, to new discoveries and translating that for the general audience and writing stories for newspapers and magazines. And then always I'm also work I'm I'm always also working on on a book. Sometimes two books together because I do children's books, I do stargazing books, I do uh Difficult books like uh, the Dark Matter book, The Elephant in the Universe, but also easier books, coffee table books, all kinds of books for astronomy. So it's not that when I wrote this book, I'm working on it all the time. It's not uh, two years only working on this book. This book It's always parallel to other kinds of things. I, I, I do a lot of lecturing. I do things for radio and TV. So um, it's and, and for me, that's the best way to work because... If I would only work on one project for two years, I would get, uh, yeah, I would get, uh, yeah, I wouldn't like it anymore. Um, I need this, this variation in the types of work. So my my work is basically for a book like this. I spent quite some time on the research, but that may also take a year in between other things by going to places, interviewing people, reading a lot, going to conferences, and then when I have all the material. Uh, available, I make a, a very good, uh, yeah, outline of the book, so I know exactly what I want to tell in each and every chapter, and then it's just a matter of writing. So, uh, in the end, of writing of this book took me maybe six months or something like that. But then the research complete uh, uh, together, it was more like two years. Oh my gosh! So you have to st- you have to be very um, self disciplined, but also organized. And do you get any sleep at all? Or <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like yeah, a I lot of work. I couldn't do without sleep, but I also couldn't work <laughs> without work. Uh, sure, sure. Uh, 
So yeah, no, no, don't, don't worry. I am enjoying uh, <laughs> life a lot, and uh, that's good. I like my my job too. I actually noticed that you wrote a BBC article just like a couple days ago on um, the satellite that crashed into the uh, is it the comet or the asteroid? I'm not sure, but it was an asteroid a couple of days okay. ago. Okay, yeah. Yes, and I was. Uh, I, wrote, I wrote that story uh, before it happened. Obviously, it was just uh, by. Uh, so it, it, I, I haven't written about it about the results. It was only two days okay. ago, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what it could mean, I think it was a, an article that like what it could mean or something like that. I, like a speculative yeah. article. Yeah. So yeah, that is like that's very cool. You're very um, like. Uh, you're you're a science journalist. You're like informing the public on what's going on with uh, astronomy, and uh, it's very. You know, it's funny because when I say that I, I've written really dozens of books, but that's because I'm doing this for a long, very long time already. And people sometimes are amazed. Well, wow, you've written so many books, and I think, well, it's it's what I do. It's, it's if you're a baker, you bake a lot of bread, <laughs> and uh, if you're a writer, you write a lot of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. But that's still very impressive. A dozen books, like, and I and I actually just searched uh, all your books just recently, and I was quite blown away that you have written so many books on so many different like deep topics too. Though, so how do you wrap your? I mean, to be honest, I expected to finish your book before getting this interview done, and I was like, oh, cool, yeah, I bought it like uh, four weeks ago, and I was like, I have plenty of time to read it, and yeah. I have had to take breaks. Because it's very, uh, it's not it's not super dense in that like you can only read a chapter at a time, but there are parts where it literally blows your mind. Uh, at least, but this is a, yeah. But this is a tough book. It's about a difficult topic, and I don't want to be it. Uh, I don't want to to write a very superficial book. So I want to go into some detail for the people who really want to little know a little bit more. So this is one of my most difficult books to read and uh, many other things are much more easy level uh, I, as I said I did uh, beautiful coffee table books on the constellations in the sky and on uh, and on uh, deep space and uh, all kind of things with easy to understand text so yeah. there's a lot of variety in there too well I mean uh, first of all I'm glad to hear that you said that it is a difficult book that makes me feel a little bit better but uh, <laughs> but I didn't I don't find uh, just for like people listening I don't find the book uh, not enjoyable um, I found mm -hmm. that you know uh, you did a very good job of explaining the concepts uh, like mind-blowing in the fact that like this that these research that, that the research is being done uh, I you know I wasn't aware of so there was an instrument that you said just recently that was like in the middle of the ground underneath the, um, mm -hmm. underneath a mountain. And yeah. it's literally a, like a cauldron with, uh, I believe, I mean, explain that a little bit, a little bit more. Cause that was like, that blew my mind. And they didn't tell me a little bit more about the experiment that they're trying to like, why they built this. Yeah. Cauldron. That's this big, this big dark matter experiment in, in Italy. There's a similar experiment in the United States in South Dakota. Oh. I would have loved to go there too, but because of the pandemic, I couldn't visit that laboratory. Otherwise yeah. it would certainly also have figured in my book, but they're sort of comparable. And what people do is if this dark matter exists, and if there are mysterious particles flying around us that we don't notice, then every now and then, very rare events, every now and then 
a dark matter particle may hit an atomic nucleus. And a tiny flash of light is the result of that. Really tiny, just a few photons. Hmm. Um, if you can observe that, you are on the trail of this mysterious dark matter. So you want to, to observe this. But how can you do that? Because the, the collisions are very rare. So you need a lot of stuff that can be hit by these dark matter particles. They use a noble gas, uh, xenon. Mm. Uh, they have cooled it down so far that it is liquid, liquid xenon. And then you have to shield it from everything in the universe because normal particles would also create a lot of collisions and you would never see your funny dark matter particle. Dark matter particles travel right through everything else. So you want to shield your instrument from the surrounding, from radioactivity, from cosmic rays, from whatever, what have you. And then you are in this deep underground experiment, shielded by rock, shielded by lead, shielded by water. And then eventually you hope to discover this tiny flash of light pointing you to the solution of the dark matter riddle. And these are huge instruments because, because of all this shielding, it has to be in a big, big water tank. And then it has to be in this underground laboratory with, with about a mile of rock above it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's crazy, uh, yeah, crazy places to be. It's, it's really science fiction like, uh, ambience. Yeah. I get that sense a lot. Um, I guess like, what would you like with all this research, what are you hoping for? Are you hoping that they find some sort of detection of dark matter and like, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you a, a dirty little secret. Uh, okay. my, my hope is actually, that's my personal hope. Okay. The, the scientific hope is that there will be an answer in, in the line of what we are looking for. We are looking for a type of particle. We think we know some of its properties. If they find that particle, everybody is happy in physics. But I would be a little bit disappointed because it is what people expect to find. And my hope is that they will find that there is something fundamentally wrong with a lot of other things that we assume to know. And one chapter in the book is is about that. There are some scientists who think that there's something wrong with our concept of gravity. Hmm. And if that is uh, wrong, then all our measurements, we we have uh, interpreted all our measurements the wrong way. And, And maybe there is no dark matter. Maybe we are in to some fundamental change in our understanding of gravity, just like Albert Einstein uh, came up with a new theory of gravity that superseded Isaac Newton. And maybe something like that would be the answer to to the problem. And to me, that would be much more interesting because it's fun if if existing beliefs have to be overturned. But I'm not a scientist, and I know a lot of scientists would, uh, would feel sad because they would have spent their whole career on chasing something that does not exist. And that's not a good feeling, obviously. Yeah. And actually when uh, I was reading, when I was reading the book, I did get the sense that, you know, you weren't, you weren't writing in a way and like you were hoping that, you know, this would be discovered. You were a little bit, um, you know, of a, of a skeptic in a way. And like, I, I felt like there was like that tone and that you were like, kind of, hey, this is what people, these are what these scientists are hoping to find. But actually, there's a lot of um, other formulas that suggest that this isn't going to be the case, that we find this dark. You you know what? A lot of people who are interested in these kind of topics, they read a little bit about it, and they read that scientists study the motion of galaxies, and they conclude, oh, there must be five times more dark matter in the universe 
than the stuff we know of. And it's a crazy claim. So if you don't know all the details, your first response as a general reader would be, that's crazy. Uh, uh, who, who could ever come up with such a crazy idea? And uh, uh, there must be an easier answer. And I am not a scientist myself. In, a, in some sense, I am, um, I am at the same level as my readers. I recognize this feeling. Now, I do all the research for this book, and I realize that the scientists have a very strong argument. Uh, if, if you know all the background and you know if you read the book, then you start to think, well, maybe it's not that crazy. Maybe they have a, a certain reason to believe it. But even then, I still remember this feeling that many readers would also have, like, can that really be true? So I'm a little bit doubtful myself still. Uh, and I think it's the same for many readers. So I want to at least give them the feeling that it's not strange to to have possible second thoughts about all this. I mean, uh, I have, well, I have a lot to say about that because one, I think that is like the beauty of science is that like uh, we're not just on this uh, one path because we, mm -hmm. because some of the uh, mathematics suggests that that's the case, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we have a lot of people who should be questioning, um, questioning the math, questioning, questioning the research. And I do uh -huh. think that, yeah, sometimes that doesn't happen. Um, I have a little bit of insight into like the world of science. My girlfriend, is, uh, she got her PhD from the University of Cologne, I believe. Mm -hmm. And um, she is a neuroscientist. And she said, and this is something that you wrote about as well, too, is that sometimes uh, scientists aren't so apt in sharing their data. And uh, there was, you, in the book, you had mentioned that there were uh, there's a group out there that had significant right. findings, but they yeah. weren't able to prove it. Uh -huh. uh, if you could tell us a little bit about that as well, too. That, that's a pretty sensitive story because it's also in the same lab in Italy. And there's an basically Italian group of scientists who are studying dark matter. And they claim to have found a, a potential signal. They say, well, this results that we find gives us the impression that we are on the track of this mysterious particle. And we... We may have detected it, but as science goes, everybody needs to be skeptic, obviously. So you you need to say, well, couldn't it be explained in another way? Uh, maybe there's some part of your instrument that is uh, functioning in the wrong way, or maybe your analysis of the of the data is not completely solid. So can you give us your basic measurements, your basic data, and we can start to do to check uh, what might have gone wrong. And they are not doing that. This Italian group say, no, we keep this all to ourselves and we present you with our results. And um, not everybody likes that because you it's hard, It's also hard to, um, how do you say that? It's, it's also hard to, to prove that they are wrong if you can't get your hands on, 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 on the real numbers that they're working with. Um, so that's, but that's not a common practice in, in this field of science. It's much more common to be very open about it. Uh, you have your measurements, you do your analysis, you produce your results, and then maybe half a year later, when you're done with your own analysis, you say, this is our measurement data, and everybody who wants to check what we've done is able to do that. That's the proper way of doing science, in my opinion. Uh, but not everybody is working along the same lines. I mean, what is what is their fear? What is it? Is it a lack of like maybe potentially losing funding or uh, just the race towards the discovery? Yeah, it's hard for you to speak about that. I realize, um, yeah, but I 
It As does. you may remember from the book, it's it's even so that the scientists do not want to do uh, telephone interviews with me as a science writer. Yeah. They say, no, we don't like to do uh, phone interviews. We only respond to email questions. And, uh, well, it's it's a fun story. Yeah. I don't know. Interesting. We'll have to, you know, get an update maybe from them eventually. So what what was what made you say, like, all right, I have to write about dark matter? Okay. Uh, well, there's a story to that, too. As, as I said before, my, my previous book, comparable in style and in level, uh, was about this uh, discovery of gravitational waves. And that was a much easier story in the sense that it's new science. Well, the prediction of gravitational waves dates back uh, about a century, but nobody was able to measure it. And only in, in the past 20 years or so, people could start to build instruments to look for them. And it's a simple story. And the book was uh, received very well. And, uh, and the publisher said, do you have any ideas for similar new books? And I thought, well, maybe dark matter is a good topic because uh, it's also this mystery and we're hunting for something. And who knows, as I said before, who knows the breakthrough will come in the next couple of years. And I, so I decided to work on that. Um, but then I very soon I realized it's a very complicated and multifaceted and, and broad topic with with lots of historical things and all kind of like theory and computer simulations and astrophysics and nuclear physics and everything comes together. So it was a big project, uh, but I love to do it because I thought, well, a book like this with his personal stories in it, uh, it just isn't out there. There's a lot of writing about dark matter, but it's all very straightforward, just factual. And uh, I, th I thought this might be a, a nice addition. Yeah. I mean, I will say, um, again, like, you know, you were wanting to get the discovery. Science hasn't gotten there yet. Uh, but for me, it really, really wasn't about finding out whether or not this, like, this was true or not. It Like, you know, it, was, it took me on this journey of, of really like the scientific method uh, in, yeah. as it concerns to dark matter and um, kind of just, and I think you would appreciate this, like open my eyes to like more of like what's out there in the universe. And I think for any reader, that's kind of like, that's your goal, you know, it's like to get them more so um, in tune with like uh, with the cosmos. So uh, I think you, you know, at least you're like you're able to do that for sure. So, um, yeah, I really appreciate what you're saying about uh, about my book. That's uh, very very kind of you and very nice to hear. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, what do you have anything that you're working on now? If you don't mind sharing, like as far as like uh, another book, maybe or yeah, as I said before, I'm always working on on one or two books. So there's, uh, but not every book is is available in English. So mm, most of my okay. books are right in Dutch. A couple of them I wrote in English, like this dark matter book and the previous one. And some of the Dutch books have been translated, but not all of them. So now I'm working on a Dutch sort of coffee table book that combines, I, I do that together with another author, combines photographs of the universe as seen from the Earth with mm. photos of the Earth as seen from outer space. Oh, so we, it's like of a, like a picture book that you really could browse through and every photo has some some fascinating detail and we, we write short essays on, on every photo in this book. So that's what I'm writing uh, working cool. on right now. Completely different. Yeah. But, uh, that's, that's why I like my job. Are you, uh, are you planning to like tackle something mysterious and uh, like hard to, harder to grasp uh, in the near future? 
yeah, I want to, but uh, I still haven't decided what what the topic would be. And uh, I've thought about a couple of topics for a next similar level book, but they're not at at the level of this big mystery. Uh, So maybe I need to just wait a couple of years until something new pops up. I don't know. It's not that I wouldn't want to share it, but uh, I just haven't yet. Well, I'll definitely uh, be on the lookout as well too. And uh, once you, you know, once the buzz starts that you're writing a new book, I'll I'll reach out and uh, <laughs> and like Good to hear. yeah. I, I again, I really appreciate the book, and I'm an, I I think I'm addicted. I think I'm hooked. I think I'm going to read some more uh, because I think again, you do a really great job of uh, kind of just writing it in a way that's like makes it very easy to understand. Like you uh-huh. say, this book is a little bit. Um, harder but again uh, there are some like moments where it is like okay let's take a pause and kind of like marinate this but Uh i do i I got a really good sense of like um of 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 the research of the scientists um i for i do i forget the guy's name but you went into the home of one of the scientists uh who lived out in the middle of nowhere um uh, ah, yeah, yeah. That and- was, the, was Kent Ford, who was the uh, collaborator of Vera Rubin. Vera Rubin is the female American astronomer who died in late 2016. Mm-hmm. Who was really one of the pioneers of dark matter research, and uh, she died before I started uh, research of this book. So I couldn't, uh, I couldn't interview her anymore. But her collaborator is now over 80 years old. And uh, he was still living in uh, in West Virginia, no, in Virginia itself. Uh, so I tracked him down and visited him, and uh, that that's a very nice way of writing about this topic by just yeah. doing it through, through the stories of someone else who had, who was involved in, in the whole thing. Yeah, I could really, uh, I could really like see exactly how, like your meeting and everything. And I just thought, again, I thought it was really interesting that you were like able to actually visit all these places and talk with uh-huh. these scientists. I'm sure that gives you a perspective that, uh, you know, other writers don't have. So, um, I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Go over. I really appreciate the interview. And, uh, if there's any like last, last words that you would like to share, that'd be great. Other than that, it's been like really interesting and I, I recommend everybody to buy the book. Um, I'll have a link um, so they, they can do so. Uh, if there's anything you want to leave us with, that'd be great. Maybe uh, what I would like to leave your listeners uh, with is uh, please enjoy this big, wonderful cosmos that we are part of. And you can do that in many ways. If you live in a city and you don't have the, the good view of the starry sky, uh, there's so much to find and to enjoy on the internet, like all the new results of the James Webb Space Telescope, which is really tremendously beautiful. It's available for everyone. But if you can, go to a dark place, uh, get yourself some good company, enjoy the stars, enjoy the, the quiet and, and the, the beauty of the, of the cosmos, and you will notice that it will give you some peace and give you a reason to discuss all kinds of things that you normally don't do in this hectic life. It's really uh, a part of of the world that we are part of. And uh, I would love to share that with everyone. That's awesome. Thank you very much, Govert. I hope you have a great day over there. You too. Thanks very much for uh, having me. You're welcome. Bye. (laughs) 